Hello everyone, and welcome to another podcast of In Media Res. This is the third episode of season two in which we'll talk about soft skills that PhDs in media studies should have. In this episode, we'll talk about education, a particular skill that you as a starting PhD should also have. And particularly in media studies, people often are put in front of a classroom to talk not only about texts or about concepts, but also to talk about media items. And today uh, we have a very special guest uh, whom I'm going to ask to shortly introduce himself. Well, hello listeners. My name is Vincent Kronen. I work at Utrecht University and in the media and culture department. And I'm a senior fellow in the Center of Academic Teaching. And one of my jobs is to supervise starting teachers within the Faculty of Humanities who are actually doing the teaching. And some of them are doing their PhD and a lot of them just finished a PhD and this is the first job after uh, finishing their PhD. So I've been doing that for the last five years and I think that over 200 people finished this trajectory. So that's the basis of my knowledge of education. Uh, besides supervising these groups, I'm also doing research on humanities and education and asking myself the question, are the disciplinary differences in how you should teach in the different fields? And is it different in humanities than in other fields of uh, teaching and research? All right, great, thank you. So uh, we'll be talking about a lot of different things. Uh, you've already uh, said two things, so your experience with uh, teaching people through this particular trajectory and your research uh, knowledge. Uh, I'd like to delve into the first thing first, so the experience that you've had with all these people going through this trajectory. Is there one particular sort of struggle that comes up quite often that starting lecturers have in, let's start with the humanities? I think that the one thing that all starting teachers have, and it's not dependent on the discipline, is uh, do you have the answer to all the questions of the students? Are you knowledgeable enough? And especially when you're a PhD student and you're, um, most of them are quite young uh, and you're teaching 19 to 20 year olds and maybe you're 25, it's, 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 people find it difficult to find their authority. And what is their authority in uh, discussing the stuff that we discuss in the humanities? And I think that within the humanities, there's an, uh, an extra difficulty because we have a low consensus of what is true in the humanities. What we're dealing with is interpretations. And why is your interpretation as a teacher, why would it be better than one of your students? And People like to think of themselves as guiding the discussion in interpretation. I think that's true, but it is uh, maybe they feel it's maybe undermining their authority in, in actually leading these seminars. So the difficulty is that they uh, spent a lot of time in preparing for classes uh, based on the contents of the classes like 80 or 90 percent. And what I'm hoping to do during this trajectory is that at least 50 to uh, 50% of the time in preparation is about how they're going to teach it. Because mm -hmm. I think that if we are uh, spending too much time thinking about, am I knowledgeable enough? Uh, do I have the authority to actually teach things? It's about you. And teaching is, well, basically, it's about the students learning and not so much about the learning of the teacher. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, during that year, the starting teachers are invited to think about not so much of what, what, what are the right answers, but 
what can you do to actually make the students be active in your seminars and having them do the work and not you? I think that is uh, very recognizable for a lot of uh, starting lecturers and especially also PhDs, uh, trying to have uh, less doubt about your own knowledge and uh, have enough authority in the room. And it's good to hear that, well, there is a trajectory so that they can grow somewhere in that. But um, if we would focus them more on specific didactics, what are then specific didactical skills that you offer these people that are maybe struggling with, well, in this case, questions of being an, uh, an authoritative figure? Thinking about form comes later, but we start off with thinking about who are we as a, uh, as a scholar. And all of them, all starting teachers have an enormous amount of uh, experience in education, uh, especially as students and uh, early on as pupils. And we all have these teachers that we thought of as that's a great teacher. So we start off with a question, what makes a teacher a great teacher or a good teacher or an inspiring teacher? And uh, is that something that we can achieve? Is that something we can better ourselves in? Or is that something that someone has or, or don't have? Because if you think it's, it's just a, a talent that you have or you don't have, you shouldn't do a trajectory. But if you think you can uh, develop yourself in it, and it's very much based on the goals that these starting teachers set themselves. I'm not telling them how to be a good teacher. I think it's better to think of what kind of teacher you want to be or want to become and find your own trajectory in, in, in achieving that. I was also thinking there's also quite some PhDs that beside their research also have to do teaching. They might not have planned to be a teacher or it's not through some introspection that they thought, I really want to develop myself as a teacher. Would the advice to them very much differ from what you've just said? I think there's a difference if you're able to teach about your own subject or asked to teach some sort of one-on-one -on -one introductory course uh, within your field. I think that all PhDs who are uh, being able to teach about their own subject should be delighted to do it because it's, it's, it's a great thing to talk about the things you're interested in and share it with the world. And, and I think the greatest uh, way to, uh, uh, to make your work public is teaching. It's, it's not writing articles, it's actually teaching. And, and most articles are read by seven people. And now you have 25 people for two hours who are actually listening to you or working with the stuff you're doing. If you're doing a more introductory course, I think, and I know that if you go back to your own studies and think about how it was for you as a first year student and you were actually studying uh, the contents of, of the course and now you have to do it all over again, but not understanding it yourself, but understanding it in a way so you can actually teach it to others, brings you to a deeper understanding of your own field. I learned most of my own field, not by being a student, but by being a teacher and actually going back to what we're teaching, the contents, and, and not thinking about do I understand it, but do I understand it in a way that I can explain it to someone else. And I think that's a skill in your own writing. Everybody has to write an introduction to your work. Everyone uh, has to make a summary of uh, a certain thinking. If you can do it in those uh, one paragraph that's, that's teaching, actually. That's actually uh, um, giving an introduction with your own perspective of what's happening, but then with a live audience. So these are 
transferable skills that are really important. So if you can't explain it to first year students what you're doing in a two hours time, you shouldn't be able, you're not able to write it down for a broader audience. Okay, so what you're also saying is that if you would be a good teacher, it would also definitely benefit your own PhD research as you are having to reflect on the content and also take this sort of meta perspective. So how can uh, we as starting lecturers be sure that we reach that level uh, of talking about our own research in a didactically didactic way that first year students understand in an effective way for both students and lecturer? Two things. Um, first of all, it's, it's not that important that you have the best uh, grasp on the course material. It's not your interpretation that's leading for the whole discussion in the work group. You're just uh, give another opinion, but you have the responsibility as a supervisor, as a teacher, as a uh, someone who is facilitating that discussion, because that's what we're doing in the humanities. And the first thing that I think you should do is let the students do the work. In every step that you take, uh, you should ask yourself as a teacher, is this something I can let the students do? For example, in the second week or third week of a course, uh, a lot of teachers do a short recap of what the, we did uh, the week before. Let the students do that. If there's a question from one of the students uh, and you might know the answer to it, but it's always better to ask the rest of the group. They have to do the work because I think and we know uh, from educational scientists, uh, sciences is that if people do actually do the work and are being activated in working with the course materials, uh, the retention is much higher. And that's what we all know. If we're uh, being sitting in a chair listening for two hours uh, lecture, the retention might not be as high as actually doing uh, something with it. And the interesting thing about humanities is, is we're always building up on new interpretation on, on the discussion. So the discussion itself is the knowledge that we're trying to learn. It's not a static idea of what we should know. Uh, it's about the different interpretations that we have, and you should provide and facilitate the different uh, the discussion and and letting the students do give their own interpretation. Just to give a simple example is uh, what we like to uh, the think pair share. Let students do the thinking first. Let them discuss it with. Uh, I always ask them, discuss it with the smartest uh, uh, person in the room and then share it with the rest of the group. And after sharing it with the rest of the group, you can go back to pairing. Is this what we discussed before? And then go back to thinking. So this is one way in actually what we call student activating work forms is let the students do the work. It's not about being uh, sometimes Teachers think, well, there are five articles I want to discuss, and so I've got 120 minutes uh, divided by five. We're all in humanities. We're not as good in numbers, but it gives me 20 minutes to discuss one article. It's not about being uh, uh, doing everything. It's mm -hmm. it's about having that discussion in itself. That's the skill you want to train with the students because they're not going to learn 
in the seminar, you need to give them the, 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 the skills and the tools to actually do the learning uh, themselves, uh, preferably before the seminar. <laughs> Uh, but if they don't do it, give them enough insights and skills and tools to do it afterwards. Mm -hmm. And that's more motivating to do something than actually reading an article is not that interesting. Reading an article to make your point or reading an article to, uh, to, to, to get to a deeper understanding of what's happening. That's what a seminar or a lecture should be. I think as a teacher, you should... Uh, motivate students to start thinking, preferably uh, in a, at the preparation, but if you go outside of the classroom, especially in media studies, that's, that's, that's so great about our, our field of work, there's media all over the place, you want to start to get them critically thinking about their own media usage or the media usage of, of, of their people they are living with, their family, and, and building on that academic critical perspective on all the phenomena that we're trying to understand. Mm -hmm. So the learning is not happening in the seminar. What we're doing in the seminar is training the skills to do the learning outside of the classroom. So I, it's it's kind of seems almost to me that um, when it comes to the role of the lecturer, it seems more like a sort of coaching profession almost, where you are just overseeing how people are getting acquainted with specific skills that you have on offer. But on the other hand, you also have a particular set of knowledge that you would like to um, well, communicate, uh, have them come across to the students. So my question is, what is there a difference between lecturer and, let's say, coach for that? And if so, what would that then be? You were mentioning you need, you need some basic knowledge uh, and before you can do the thinking. It's, you mentioned something like that. Mm -hmm. I think we should flip it. We want to discuss or problematize a certain phenomena that we're trying to understand, and then we need the knowledge to do that. So you you must try to motivate the students. Here's this huge toolbox that's online. That's that's all the literature that we have, uh, and it can be uh, about method. It can be about certain theoretical concepts. But these are all there to help you understand what's happening. So it's it's not so much about. There are teachers who said, well, the first three years you should just memorize all the theoretical concepts. And uh, I did art history as a, as a student and I had to learn by heart 500 medieval churches uh, by name. And uh, great, because the teacher said, well, first you have to know what's there and then we're going to discuss how to, uh, how to do research uh, on medieval churches. I still remember a few of them. But I think we should try to motivate students in asking questions and if you want to answer questions or find your perspective or your interpretation to a certain phenomenon you need these concepts you need the literature to help you in actually finding the answers your answers to that questions so there is not basic knowledge all the knowledge is basic if it's if you if it helps you finding your perspective on a certain phenomenon is that different from other fields of study, yeah, I think it is. I think that we don't have these more technical knowledge that you actually need that that's, hasn't changed in the last, well, let's say 100 years. If you're doing math, the, the, you need some basic training in understanding what we're doing. The, 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 the interesting thing 
in teaching in media studies is we're teaching it's 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 like life history what we're doing here and if you're doing even if you're doing it from a historical perspective we you always do it from the perspectives that we have from this time uh, towards the history so I think in teaching, in, in what you're doing, what you're doing as a, as a, as a student, as a PhD student, as a researcher, is f you're, you're not supposed to read or pay attention to things you don't need. And so you have to train the students in making that selection, what they need to find their interpretation and not saying, well, just read this and memorize it and uh, there, there will be an exam and after you have, an, uh, 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 have a sufficient grade for the exam, we will talk, uh, talk more. And especially first year students, first block, start off, there are experts because they at least had 10,000 hours of media training as a consumer. Mm. And uh, people who are teaching in French literature are, are, are really <laughs> jealous of that, of course. And we're, it's, it's omnipresent, our media consumption. And, and we don't have, the, the, are you on or offline? That's something that we said 10 years ago. It's always there. So there are great experts to work with. Coming back to your questions, are you only facilitating or actually teaching? I think you, you should what you're teaching or lecturing is trying to empower the students in finding their own voice, their own perspective, is that's what you should teach about or lecture about. Uh, and, and of course, you need to explain a few things, but it's always better to let the students explain it. Mm -hmm. If, if someone comes up with a concept and they got it that wrong, there's always someone else in the room who can uh, correct them. And then you did it together. And that's always better than just to explain it. And it's not so much about how much you know. And good teaching is not that the students think that you're very knowledgeable. Great. Um, let's unpack that activating the students. Because I think it's what's clear now is that uh, we have a role on the one hand as a facilitator, but also as this bulk of knowledge on the one hand, but mainly having students activate their own critical thinking and becoming the sort of best critical thinker all by themselves by means of uh, ways under the controlled session of a, uh, of a teacher. Could you give some uh, specific examples that starting lecturers could uh, things that they could do to activate students uh, in this uh, particular uh, getting of ownership over this material and maybe uh, in specific to media studies if yeah. possible one of the work forms that the people tend to like is uh, what's called the jigsaw uh, let's say you have t 20 students in a group and you divide them up in groups of five and you have five articles to read you could ask all students to read all five articles but would it be a great idea to have one expert group on article a one expert group on article b and so on and after discussing that one article with the five four other experts on that article then you mix it up to all these groups and then you have a group where all four articles are discussed in relationship to the others with the different experts in that group. And what's happening there is 
uh, it's not about the teacher. It's not about teacher explaining what's what's the right interpretation of, of, of the different articles. It's there's an interdependency between the students and students tend to work a little bit harder if their peers are telling them, well, I need you to explain what's in this article because <laughs> that's what I need in uh, for, uh, for, uh, for, for, for the assessment or, the, or my paper or whatever. So that's one way in giving back responsibilities to the students. It shouldn't be the, re the responsibility of the teacher that the students understand it. It's the responsibility of the teacher to facilitate these conditions, the, as you described it, that they're able to learn. But actually learning someone, uh, sometimes teachers will, well, I learned them everything and now they screwed up the exam. No, they, you, you taught them, but it's different what's from, from learning, of course. So that's one way in giving the responsibility to the students and creating an interdependency between the students. Students hate peer teaching, but it helps them in, in understanding that there are different interpretations, that by the wisdom of the group uh, and by sharing it, it's about an interpretation. There are no right or wrong answers uh, in humanities. Well, of course there are, but it's very much based on interpretation. So you're helping them actually doing the work themselves. And in, in later, uh, on the on master's level, I think you shouldn't teach on the master level. Let the students teach. Uh, let them give uh, a starter for a discussion of 10 minutes. I wouldn't go as far. My ideal course would be to have 25 students uh, and have a vote. What should we do the next 10 weeks? Mm -hmm. And everybody brings in two, three articles. We will make the selection. That's the syllabus. And that's what we're going to do. It's their studies it's their uh, uh responsibility and it's it's a much better way to actually being trained for life after graduation if you're going to do a pg or other things is doing it yourself uh, guided of course supervised by someone who knows what the end goal is but doing it yourself and having that ownership is much more important than someone explain it to you in a very attractive way. So uh, moving on to the last question that we always ask uh, in this podcast series is uh, if you'd have any particular tips for current PhDs in media studies coming from your expertise and the stuff that we've addressed today, what would those tips be? In general, Oh, built on your network and, and everyone who is now has a, a fixed position in academia, if they're a professor or something, everyone had other people help them. So everyone feels some sort of responsibility. If you send them an email, let's have coffee, let's discuss. Is This is something I would like to discuss with you. I have a draft for my paper and I know this is something in your field. Can you please help me? Uh, can you read it? I will buy you coffee. Don't hesitate to do it. Not because these are all nice people, because also these more senior people within your department or wherever you work have a responsibility to do it because they also have uh, the, had these people to help them. And that's what we're doing as an academic community. So never be hesitant to reach out to people and, and willing to make make yourself look stupid it's that's that's i can tell you terrible stories about uh, uh my phd uh i handed in my my the first draft of my complete phd and uh my supervisor emailed me 
two minutes after I handed her in with with a lot of bad words and uh, <laughs> there's a misspelling in your first sentence. <laughs> so give them the opportunity to help you. Thank you. And thank you for this uh, lovely conversation uh, that we had today. That rounds up today's episode on education uh, for PhDs in media studies. Next episode is uh, going to be up in a month or so. And uh, Vincent already pointed it out a bit what another particular skill is that we should learn. And that might be networking in a bit, our being seen. No spoilers just yet, but this will be something that we might explore in our next episode. Thank you for listening, and I hope to hear you all again uh, for the episode. Thank you.